It's easy to hear feedback from investors and immediately jumping to making a bunch of changes based on that feedback. I think about these meetings with investors and they hear 10 to 20 minutes of my spiel, uh, but they're not in the day-to-day. And so just thinking about those things helps me balance my thinking. Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast, brought to you by Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina, that helps founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. So whether you're already an entrepreneur or want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success, or not such a success, this podcast is for you. Our guest today is Tina Tang, co-founder and CEO of Bristles, a startup that's developed a mobile app for helping design home DIY projects. Tina has made a lot of noise recently in the Triangle startup community, having secured funding from well-known local investors like NC Idea, the Triangle Tweener Fund, and Primordial. But Tina's path to entrepreneurship was not originally front of mind. I always kind of envisioned my career as a ladder. And so I'd spent, you know, all my life climbing this ladder, Mm -hmm. starting as an analyst, then consultant, and then on my way up to management. Okay. But I w- as I was looking my way up that ladder in IT consulting to the top, I felt like that's not where I wanted my career to end up. And so I, as I was imagining different career paths, just thinking through what options I had, I did see the startup ladder. And so I just had to think about what it would take for me to remove myself from this ladder I was climbing and then go to that startup ladder. Um, And I think that was the first time I really thought about becoming an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, So mm -hmm. this hadn't been a vision from when you were a little kid or anything like that? No. Yeah. No. So how do you, I mean, that's such a huge leap because especially as you have that visualization of the the one ladder you're climbing up and now there's another ladder I can get to. Mm -hmm. How did you convince yourself, yeah, I really want to take that that step and move off this this one ladder? So it was a very difficult decision. Uh Uh-huh. so a little bit more about kind of my growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the first person in my family to even go to high school. Okay. Um, and so getting to that point of finishing high school, valedictorian, mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, I think I sort of made it. And and then I got this job in IT consulting. And that was kind of my next level of, okay, I made it. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of thinking when, when I was making it um, in IT consulting to realize that's really not my dream. Mm. Once I started thinking that, then I could not stop seeing the other ladder. And so even though in my mind I had to kind of start from the bottom, if you will, it was worth that risk because otherwise I'd be working my way up to the top and I knew I would regret not trying the other option. So what... I guess as, as your childhood self, when you were a little kid, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when you were a little kid? A lot of things. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was really into art as a kid. I really enjoyed drawing and painting. And part of that started from when I was learning to speak English. My dad's from Vietnam. My mom is from um, a farming village in China. Okay. And they both sp- spoke Cantonese at home no English. So when I started public school and kindergarten, I didn't speak a word of English. And it was it was very scary learning the language and 
just saying anything out loud. Right. And so I preferred drawing to communicate and to share my ideas. That's kind of where it started. But then as I was in elementary school, high school, I found out I was pretty good at math. And so um, I saw the engineering path. I enjoyed solving complex problems. Mm -hmm. And so I pursued that as a career. And I don't know how to ask that, but is, is that also kind of, we talk about making it and feeling that responsibility of come, did math seem like a, I don't know, an easier path to making it in some yes. respects than art did? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, it looks like in your background, you previously worked IT consulting, mm -hmm. and then you left that to do a master's program, is that right? Mm -hmm. In um, systems engineering. Mm -hmm. So you've always kind of been in this this tech field. What what did you learn from that, or what kind of experiences from that has has shaped what you're doing now? Yeah. So back to the ladders metaphor. Yeah. When I was making that big decision to go from IT consulting to then doing a startup, I at the time it felt like I was starting all the way at the bottom of the ladder, and it was I had to learn everything all over again. But through my experience, actually working, um, like building a startup, I realized that your life experience, it all comes into play mm -hmm. as you're on that second ladder. And so in reality, it's like I have this backpack full of tools that I gained from the first ladder that right. I can use to climb up the second one. So when you're talking about what I learned from tech, from working in IT consulting, the things I took away were really the soft skills the technical problem-solving skills were great, but what I really enjoyed from IT consulting was talking to my clients, getting to know their problems, understanding what their pain points were, and then and then solving it through building technology, mm -hmm. and then watching their faces light up when their pain points have been resolved. And that was the part that I really enjoyed, right. and I still get to do that today. Well, I was going to say, as soon as you described <laughs> that, I was like, wow, that sounds like a big part of being a startup founder. Mm -hmm. And I think my experience there and learning like kind of getting addicted to that process mm -hmm. has helped me in the startup journey for sure. So now when you left IT consulting and, and went for the master's program, was it in your mind that I'm doing this for the purpose of then starting a company? Yeah. So I felt like I needed to upskill in terms of getting into cutting edge tech. Okay. Um, so that was, that was why I went into machine learning. So while I was in, in um, IT consulting, my partner uh, in business and in life, Anthony, um, he was pursuing his PhD in biomedical engineering focused on computational neuroscience. And so I saw him applying machine learning to solve problems. And we would talk about how this was the future. And we wanted to be part of building that that future. Okay. And so how do you get from kind of there to, to where you're at now with Bristles? Uh, how did Bristles get started? Yeah. So as soon as I left consulting... It's a very fast-paced work environment, and I started working at, where um, I started grad school. I had so much more time than I had ever had to think. Mm -hmm. And this was, I think that was very special. And so with that time, I would explore what I could do with these new skills that I was learning. Um, training machine learning models. I was very fascinated by computer vision. And then the artistic side of me came out again. Um, so I was using machine learning to test all of these ideas. And I learned you could use these models to transform images in really amazing ways. And if these tools were given to the everyday consumer, that um, they could really amp up creativity mm -hmm. um, 
and what the everyday person could create with just their smartphone. So, I mean, it sounds like then you, you have this idea and again, you're just melding together these different aspects of your background. So how does that go from, I guess, that idea that you can put it in the hands of the consumer to like making it into a business? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So initially we were just very inspired. Um, so Anthony and I are engineers, but we also love art. And so it started with just being inspired by this idea that technology could help unleash new waves of creativity. So I'll break to tell a story about the Impressionists. Impressionist artists like Monet, for example, they were able to really get into their craft based on this invention at the time of transportable paint in tubes. Mm -hmm. So prior to paint being transportable, artists had to mix their own paints in their studios and they were kind of trapped in their, not trapped, but they were stuck in their studios painting. Right. And once these tubes of paint were invented, they were then able to take their art out into the open air and paint live. Mm -hmm. And this enabled them to capture these fleeting moments. Mm -hmm. If you look at Impressionist paintings, you'll see they emphasize how the light catches, they emphasize movement. And when you're back in your studio, you're not in front of these details because they're so fleeting. Right. And so you can't capture them. And so we were inspired by this idea that you could build technology that helps people do things they couldn't, they just couldn't have done before. And we wanted to do that with AI, okay. um, building creative tools. So then the next question was, okay, this is a very kind of vague idea. How do we focus it a little bit? Um, we started thinking about where people struggle with creativity. We kind of landed on home because we were stuck at home at the time, um, quarantining, and we had all of these projects um, that we wanted to plan. We wanted to get creative, but it was also very daunting mm -hmm. to make changes in your home. This is, you know, as adults, we have when we make changes in our home, they have to be, they can't be so wacky that like your friends come over and they're like, what is going on right. in here? And so it's one of those things where you want to get your ideas kind of on paper. And then both you and your partner need to agree. And you also kind of want to show your friends and see like, you want to get buy-in before making those final decisions. Right. And so this was the creative problem we landed on solving. And as we shared that idea with people, they got really excited in a way that was very different from when, when I shared the idea about this artistic tool. It was too vague when I was talking about that idea, I think. But when I talked about this new idea where you have your phone and you're able to take all the photos uh, that you saved for your home improvement project ideas and create mock-ups with them. So every you can think of every photo that you saved as an idea. Mm -hmm. And there's something specific that intrigued you about that photo. It could be something abstract like a paint color. It could be a particular product in the photo. Um, and what we wanted to do was to help you extract that thing that intrigued you and help you put it all together to create your vision. Okay. And yeah. that resonated with people a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think it's still taking that same idea of technology enhancing a space or the art or, or thinking of the spaces that we live in as, as a form of art, but also everybody has a house, everybody has decorations mm -hmm. that they have to do. So it makes so much sense that this resonates with, with, with people because there's just a need that we mm -hmm. all have as, yeah. as we start to decorate those spaces. So where do you go from there? You got this idea, people seem interested in it. What's, what's that next step? Yeah, so it's been exciting. We launched our app in app stores in mid-March. 
we're just growing our user base right now and people are getting really excited. Um, we actually just discovered one of our customers wrote an entire blog post about our AI tools and how it's a game changer. So it's just, it's it's been really enjoyable discovering all of these little um, bits of making customers happy. And that's that's what we're focused on. It's making our customers happy and growing the business, sure. growing our user base. Well, and I also want to take a step back because you kind of talked about this a couple times about the way that AI is influencing what you're doing and, and how machine learning is in, you kind of in your background and is affecting your product here. Mm -hmm. It seems now that everywhere you look and read about today, mm -hmm. everybody's talking about AI and yeah. how it's changing technologies. You've been in the space long before it was kind of on yeah, the media's you know, bandwidth. So how do you think about this, this time and mm -hmm. kind of the advances that have been made? And how does that impact your business right now, having this yeah. be in the forefront of people's imagination? I think it's super exciting. So when we first started, and I would talk about this idea with um, investors, and they would say, why are you working with images? Why don't you do AR? It was kind of, at the time, AR seemed like the higher tech right. um, version of what we're doing. And I would say, no, 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 generative AI is is the more advanced technology. And, and now that's not a question anymore. Now right. that's very obvious. So just seeing that shift has been great. And it's easier to get people on board. And I was gonna say, does it does it change, I guess, the conversations you're having with investors or potential uh, partners that you're working with? Is it easier to have that explain what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Do you find people yes. are better educated about it or are they just excited about it? A little bit of, of both, more so excited about it, um, but definitely they recognize the power of it now. Whereas before I really had to explain it mm -hmm. and only um, only certain people got it. So when you talk about it being a part of, of your product, can you explain for somebody who's not technical, how, how does AI impact your tool? Yeah, so it enables us to turn simple images, 2D images that people take every day on their phones into these dynamic design objects. So, so AI is kind of weaved in in all sorts of ways. We we focus on solving this problem of building mock-ups of, um, of your home improvement ideas. And that involves a couple different steps. One is you start by removing anything that you don't want. Mm -hmm. And so the piece of AI that solves that is called in-painting. It's, um, it's what powers our AI eraser. The next piece of it is, okay, you remove things you don't want. Now, what do you want to transform? Often, people can do really creative things with paint if mm -hmm. they have um, a creative tool to help them plan out different ways to apply it. Okay. So then that's another way that we use image translation is um, visualizing paint, visualizing different materials on your space. And then the last piece is adding new things. And so we let you cut things out of images, and that's a background removal algorithm. Okay. Um, so those are kind of the different ways we bake in AI. And then we just added an AI idea generator also, which is kind of powering dreaming up ideas. So, so we want to help people dream up ideas, design ideas, and then eventually also do the doing part of it. Now, have you ever had kind of a customer or an end user use your tool in a way that surprised you or like built something that just still sticks with you today? Well, I'm amazed by our customers. They are artists. Yeah. Um, so most of our customers today are furniture refinishers. So they'll take a piece of furniture from the thrift store and they'll completely sand it down, repaint it. And when I say repaint, I don't mean just choosing a paint color and it's just a solid color. Right. They really get 
creative with design and it's really beautiful, um, the art that they create with furniture. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed. Uh, and then they add hardware on top and the way they talk about hardware, it's, it's like people talking about how jewelry enhances an mm-hmm. outfit. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's fascinating. Well, that, that's, re- I mean, that's really cool. Cause I always think it's amazing, you know, as somebody who develops technology, you have an idea of how it's going to be used or you mm-hmm. have an idea of its possibilities, but then you put it out in the world yeah. and there are so many creative and interesting people out there who are thinking about it in potentially different ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm always interested to hear what have, what have people done with it that surprised yeah. you? So. I, yeah, I guess overall furniture as a category um, surprised me in the beginning. I did not expect that. Okay. Um, we were thinking home uh, more like built-in shelves and that sort of thing in the beginning. But um, the biggest use case by far right now is, is furniture refinishing. Interesting. So now I think in 2021, you decided to apply for an NCIDO grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where was the company at kind of when you started that process? We were nothing <laughs> <laughs> at the time. We were like, we were in um, a very vague idea okay. at the time when I applied for NCIDO. So we hadn't even pivoted to home yet mm-hmm. um, at that point. And I applied because I guess we needed a, um, like a, just an ounce of validation. Right. And it really did help with that. And um, Amy Bastian and John Austin from NC Idea have been great mentors. That That's great. So, I mean, kind of for our listeners, what was that process like? I mean, what, how did you start the process? Was there an interview process? I mean, how did, how did that go? Uh, uh, yeah, so we, we applied for the micro grant, which mm-hmm. is their 10K grant. I'm remembering there was an application and I believe there was one presentation piece and then and then they make decisions. Okay. So it's much shorter than the seed process. And um, how, what did it feel like when you won? What was that? that oh, great. When you got that notice, yeah? It was that validation that we were looking for. Okay, so you knew you yeah. were kind of on the right track yeah. at least. So from that point, what, what's the next step then? You've got a little bit of validation. What was the first thing you did with, the, with that, that grant? So it helped us start proving out our idea. Um, it supported us going to this DIY conference, for example, where we met a lot of our early beta users. It helped us um, start testing, getting customer feedback and things like that. So what? how would you describe the business model for the product? I mean, as you, all startups are in the business to make money eventually. So mm-hmm. uh, what, what's, what's the model for the product? Yeah, so we, we charge for our design tool. So we're building this premium design product mm-hmm. and our customers pay to, to use it. Okay. It's a subscription service. So we have monthly and annual subscriptions. And was right that now. based off of the feedback you'd gotten from your customers, from your investors? How did you come to make that decision? We were thinking about monetization and there were a couple of different avenues. One would be the simplest one. It would be charging directly for the product. Mm-hmm. And then the other would be connecting folks to uh, the products they'll need to actually execute on their projects, which is something we're still exploring. Okay. Um, but we heard from interviews from our customers that they would pay for this, that this tool is something they need. Mm-hmm. And so um, we started with that. That's great. So especially with like the furniture redesign, do these people already have, like have they already bought the piece of furniture in their, in their home and trying to redesign it? Or are you seeing people kind of going out into the marketplace and using the tool to decide what they want to buy? It's more so they have the piece already mm-hmm. or a client has reached out to them with a picture of their piece and they're asking like, what could you do with this piece? Okay. And then they have this design conversation using our tool. Interesting. 
So what have been some of the early challenges that you've had in either developing the product or just growing the business to this point? There are many. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think that just comes with building a startup. There are always going to be many, many challenges. I think the one that has been the toughest is I'm very goal-driven. Okay. When my goal is to make customers happy, then I focus on product. And then there are other secondary goals when you're building a startup. One sometimes is trying to raise funding. Mm -hmm. And when that's your goal, it's easy to hear feedback from investors and immediately jumping to making a bunch of changes based on that feedback. Um, and so one challenge has been of making myself take a step back and really analyze analyze the feedback and decide on what is actually the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think overcoming that is, has been the biggest challenge, but also it's been um, really important to, to start thinking that way. Um, because I think about these meetings with investors and they hear 10 to 20 minutes of my spiel. Right. Um, but they're not in the day-to-day. -day. Yep. And so just thinking about those things helps me balance my thinking. And what have you found to be useful in, in helping you to kind of judge what advice is good to take versus what advice you can respectfully decline to take? I think about what they know and what I know. Mm -hmm. Depending on who the investor is, they have specific sets of experience um, that I might not have. And so that's how I try to think about it. Where have they spent 10 years of time? What have they been doing? Mm -hmm. What expertise do they have that is actually better than my expertise? Whereas my experience is the day-to-day -day running the startup. So what do I know that they might not know when they're giving me the feedback? And that's kind of how I think about it. That's interesting. Well, it seems like you've been garnering a lot of attention from kind of significant names in the area as far as investment. Uh, I understand you were one of the first four companies that were funded by uh, Scott Wingo's Tweener Fund. And mm -hmm. more recently, we were the first investment from Joe Colopy's Primordial Fund. Is that right? The second. Second. Oh, dang it. Okay, you got that <laughs> wrong. So the second investment. The second. So the Triangle Tweener Fund invested in January of 2022. So okay. shortly after we won the NCIDA microgrant. And Scott Wingo has been just a constant in our in our startup journey. Um, it's been really great having having his expertise and just having his support. Mm -hmm. I think having people in your corner is really important, and that has been great for us. And his advice is really helpful too. So, how did these investments come about? I mean, were you out doing a lot of networking? What, did they hear about you from somewhere else? How did that happen? Yeah. So, um, with the Triangle Tweener Fund, I met Scott. Um, so Grepbeat had done a profile on us after we won the NCIDA microgrant. And um, I think Scott read that, reached out to me, and we met up. And so that's how he learned about Bristles, what we're doing. He saw an early demo of our product. So that's how that first investment came to be. Okay. And then with Primordial, I met Jen at uh, CED. We were presenting. We were one of the presenting companies. We had a conversation and primordial moves very quickly and so that's that's how that happened that's excellent so yeah. what did what do these investments kind of allow you to do that you weren't able to do before and uh, how, how do you plan to use this money well one thing is anthony and i had not been paying ourselves through this whole time it's mostly been self-funded okay and so one thing that is you know life-changing for a founder is just being able to support <laughs> yourself <laughs> right. a little bit just a little bit helps that's been a big thing and then just being able to extend our runway mm -hmm. with 
having users, making product updates, operations spending increases a little bit. So it supports us just continuing on and getting to nailing product market fit. So with these investments, are, are you done fundraising for now or are you still seeking out investment? We're always looking for introductions to folks that would be interested in joining us on this journey. If you're an angel investor and you're interested, I would love to talk to you. Now, we always talk about that, you know, when you're seeking investment, you know, a good investment comes with more than just the check. So you need some network or some experience. Is there a particular experience that, that these investors that would be helpful to the company? Yeah, I think anyone who's operated in the home space uh, would love to talk to them. Anyone who's operated in kind of design software would love to talk to them too. So is it still just you and Anthony on the team right now, or have you started to grow that out? We're the only full-time members. Um, as we close additional funding, we'll be able to add new team members. With this latest funding, we're, we were able to add a few interns to the team this summer, and that's been really exciting, just having having their energy on the team. Mm. Uh, we have three interns. They are super creative, and each of them are super unique. And so they they just add a lot of excitement to the day to day. Well, that's that's uh, that's awesome to be able to have again that energy come in. But I'm sure it adds new challenges for you as well. Kind of how do you manage uh, just a growing startup and with oh. more people involved? I found good people. They yeah. are they are very pleasant to work with. Um, there have been no issues so far. That, that's great. So how did you go about finding your interns? So Amy Lenane um, from Duke sent an email out to the Duke students. And uh, Kyle Williams from Duke also reached out to, I think, the Duke entrepreneurial-minded students. And we got this huge influx of applications. There was a lot of interest. And so it was, even though it was late in the summer, I thought it would be a little bit challenging to find um, to find folks to want to join. But people were really excited. That's great. And so what would you say kind of if you had, and I wouldn't say unlimited funds, but like what would be your first big hire if you wanted to you know, bring, bring more people on. Yeah, so, well, we have a, a really talented AI engineer that wants to join full-time, um, including moving to the Triangle. So he would be my first hire. That's that's great. So you, you talk about some of the, you know, interactions with your customers. What What is some of the feedback you've been getting from your customers? What What is it that they want this tool to do or that they like about the tool so far? They love being able to take their images and put them together to, um, to visualize their ideas. So I think a lot of people want have been wanting to do this. Mm -hmm. And one tool you could use is something like Photoshop. Right. But Photoshop is really hard to use. And kind of like that. back to that example of the artist being stuck in their studio, mm -hmm. for you to really use Photoshop, you have to be at your desktop computer. So you're like stuck. Because that Photoshop, um, that'll suck your, your memory of your computer. It's yeah. a huge drag. And and you're, you have to be at your computer, right? So you can't be out in the world with your phone. So I think one thing they appreciate is they don't need to be at their computer. They just pull out their phone and they can visualize their idea. And in a really uh, complex way, mm -hmm. they have the tools to, to turn all their images into little building blocks put them together in a way that looks Photoshop but feels easy. And and so kind of as you think about iterations or next step for the product, what, what do you have in mind? What do you hope to see it, see it do that you can share with us? Yeah, so one thing 
I love listening to customer feedback. And a lot of our inspiration for product updates come from that. It's more complicated than directly implementing the feedback, but it's more so if we hear something a lot, then that really gets our attention. Um, and so one thing we're hearing a lot about is um, to stage objects. Um, so that's what we're working on now. AI when you staging. say stage, stage objects, what do you mean by that? So with furniture, for example, uh, a lot of our a lot of our customers are selling their pieces um, for a profit. So they flip it and then sell the the updated piece of furniture. A lot of them work in their garages, and so they have either a corner of their house or a corner of their garage that's for staging. Okay. But they want to do it digitally digitally instead, and so. We're going to build that next. So, so when you say staging, like take that and just kind of visualize it in a different space or? Exactly. Think about product images. Mm -hmm. And when you're browsing on, say, Wayfair or something, they have all of these professionally shot pieces of furniture. Mm -hmm. And so what they want is a way to get that type of image. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So what's something about your startup journey so far that that has surprised you that hasn't been what you expected it to be? I, I feel like I'm surprised every day by something. Yeah. Um, but I guess how rewarding every step is, um, that has been a, a pleasant surprise. I get very excited every time a customer has something nice to say mm -hmm. about our product or we get a sale. <laughs> I didn't expect like those um, daily bits of excitement, I guess. And those, those are great to keep me going. So is that what you mean when you say it's rewarding or are there other aspects of it that you find super rewarding that makes you glad that you're doing this instead of the corporate ladder you talked about? Yeah, I think with building a startup, everything that happens has been based on, you know, decisions that I make, decisions Anthony makes. Um, and so we can look back on all of our progress and that is all of our work. And mm -hmm. so that is very personally rewarding. Now, is there something that you wish you knew kind of at the outset of this journey that you know now that you've kind of learned through either mistakes or kind of uh, it was a little bit harder than you expected? What do you wish you'd known when you were starting out? So I talked about the backpack of tools mm -hmm. that I had from my consulting experience. I think I wish I would have just had more confidence in the fact that I have built skills to help me succeed in on this new ladder. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to kind of figure that out that I that I had um, advantages. I guess. I was gonna say. I mean, that's maybe talk about that a little bit. Is it is it challenging to kind of move into this role and believe that you can do it and believe that you have the skills to kind of build a company and not feel. Like an imposter, I guess, to borrow yeah. the term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I still feel that. Okay. But more and more with, you know, the support I have around me, it keeps pushing me forward. I still have to remind myself every day that, yeah. you know, I can do this. But I think also every day I'm proving more and more that I can. And you talk about the support. How have you kind of found people to support and encourage you in this journey? I mean, is it people you've just met or have you been intentional about it? I think, I mean, I think the startup community here is just naturally very supportive. Um, I haven't gone after support. Everyone here is just always trying to lift each other up, I think. And so that's been nice. 
That's great. I mean, it's good to, it's a good thing to hear for the community, but it's also, you know, good for you kind of within, within your mm -hmm. own business. For sure. Now, I was thinking about, you talked about looking up at the corporate ladder, feeling that you'd made it or know what the next step is to make it. What, what do you think making it looks like for, for you and for Bristles? What's your vision there? For now, I'm focused on making customers really happy, and those are little versions of making it. But, you know, growing our user base, growing the business, introducing additional revenue streams into the future, growing the team, these are all steps on the ladder that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually to an exit that could be acquisition or or something else. We'll see. So what do you see is for like the immediate next step for the company? What what is your hope for that like within the next year? Yeah, I think so it's it's still really early days. We are just a few months launched in the App Store, so really figuring out our marketing and um and spreading the word and growing our subscriber subscriber base. Now, is that, it's interesting you talk about the different roles that a CEO has to play or as a founder that you have to play, you know, how do, how do you think about ways to reach your customers? How are you going about doing your marketing now? Um, mm -hmm. You know, how, how do you build your user base at this point? Yeah, it's, so we have spread the word on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Our product is very visual. So that has been effective for us, just showing how the product works uh, and people get excited just seeing it. Uh, which has been nice for us. And we've grown kind of a community on Instagram. Mm -hmm. We have our customers cheering us on. And um, so that's how we've been doing it uh, so far. That's great. I mean, word of mouth is probably the best, mm -hmm. <laughs> best way to get people excited about it. So, well, we are, we are the Founders Shares podcast. And so I like to ask all of our guests, you know, if you had one piece of advice that you wanted to share with somebody who was thinking about starting a company, what would your advice be? I think just start the journey and and believe you can do it. It sounds so easy in some respects. Just start, <laughs> but like, what what would you say? What kept you from starting, or what were your, what was holding you back, or telling you not to start? I think it was this fear that I have put this time into my career thus far um, in IT consulting, got to manager or associate manager, which is what I wanted at the time and would I regret hopping off that ladder in the end? I mean, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I was going to ask you, so any regrets <laughs> at any point you were like, nope, I wish I had stayed doing IT no. consulting. Yeah. As soon as I made the decision, as soon as I made the leap and started grad school and just felt like the world opened up, even just from then I had no regrets. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So it's just an encouragement to everybody who's listening. So how would you encourage people to, to make that step or to really kind of believe that they can do it? Yeah, I think having some plan helps. So for me, it was important to build up some savings, knowing that it could help me through um, the beginning when, when things are very uncertain. Yeah. Um, so that, that helped me. And then making a plan for how how you will decide on the business. Um, so for me, that was going to grad school. Grad school was kind of the intermediate step between okay. quitting my IT consulting job and fully leaping into the startup world. And was was that to help come up with, with ideas of, of ways to form the business? Or was that, I don't want to say a fallback mechanism, but like, you know, if the startup didn't, pan out, you still had your master's degree and could 
go do that? What, what was your thinking around that? Well, I, I was very interested in solving problems with machine learning, but I felt like I didn't have all of the skills I needed yet to really think through what I could do. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was important to go get those skills. Yeah, but for someone else, it could be something else. But there, uh, I guess you don't have to fully jump in. Right. There's probably some immediate step that you can take. I think that's also helpful. It's not an either or or all or nothing type of thing, but you can just take that first step and continue that process down. Mm -hmm. Well, that's helpful. So tell our listeners how they can find out more about the app, how they can learn more about your company or just connect with you directly. Yeah, so our app is in the app stores. We're in the Apple App Store and Google Play. Um, and you can also find out more about us on our website at bristles.ai. And I'm on LinkedIn if you want to connect. Awesome. That's great. I appreciate it so much, Tina. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for being on the show and look forward to seeing what happens next. Thanks, Trevor. This was great. That was Tina Tang, co-founder and CEO of Bristles, which again, you can find out more about at bristles.ai. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Founder Shares podcast. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, be sure to check out our team at hutchlaw.com. That's hutchlaw.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and thanks for listening to the Founder Shares podcast.